I'm Lone Wolf Mike. And I'm Quarantine Kolka Meredith. And I'm Tony the Tumundua Tongue. And we meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. (coughs) To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and Podcast and all of the kingdom animalia. Nay! Oh, there's a horse at the Dalmatian station today. Well, he saddled me up. Oh. <laughs> I'm all saddled up for fun at the Dalmatian station. Yeah, welcome, first time clubby Anthony. Hi, everybody. I won't be a naysayer. Nay. <laughs> Good. There's no room for that kind of horse uh, here. That's true. <laughs> all right, I'll stop horsing around right now. <laughs> there we go. Anthony is Meredith's gentleman caller friend. Is that the term we're using now? We've been courting for quite a while now. So this is a very special episode of Animal Fan Club. This is the first uh, meeting that has taken place both in the Dalmatian Station and the Dalmatian Station Eastern Outpost simultaneously. Yep. We are self-quarantined in our respective homes. Yep. Here we are. And we're doing this over... Technology. These are coveted positions. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony's just here for the puns. Clearly. <laughs> he has, he's been keeping a pun worksheet for the last three weeks in preparation. You know I'm a for sucker. This. I mean, to draw this into animals, which I think we should do. Can you talk about that person who was mistakenly pronouncing COVID as... Corvid? Yeah. So like the word for crows. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate to say because I actually listen to this podcast and sometimes get information from it because it's kind of a very progressive left-leaning socialist bent kind of thing. But it makes you question everything when they start calling COVID Corvid. One of the guests started saying Corvid and the host was emphatically going COVID, but they just kept saying Corvid. So they just have crows on the brain. Yeah, It did make me laugh though, because at least that means crows. Yeah. 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 Everybody loves a crow. I wish it was a Corvid epidemic. That'd be amazing. Yeah, we just have like crows like knocking at our windows. It would be loud and probably a little creepy for a while, but then we would just get used to them and we would all just make our own like crow accounts. So, like this is the crow that comes to my window. I've named him Joseph. <laughs> it's a great crow name. Thank you. I would name one of the crows Hitchcock. That's really cute. I mean, if we had a Corvid infestation, it seems appropriate. Here's my crow Hitchcock. It's Hitchcocky. Yeah. Do you call that? like Oh, Hitchcockian. What do you Hitchcock. call it? Probably Hitch- not Hitchcocky. <laughs> Hitchcock esque. Hitching a ride. Yeah. <laughs> I would name my crow Gerald A. <laughs> yeah. Gerald A. Crow? I like it. Heavens, Gerald A. Is that from something? It was from the commercial. From oh, I see, I see, I see. Gerald A is the sturdiest Corvid name. Yeah, that, that is sturdy. Well, I had an exciting animal sighting this week in front of the oh. grocery store when I was picking up some potatoes and other root vegetables. By all means, share. Yeah, tell us. Do tell. It was a dog, and it was running in front of the grocery store, and its hind legs were in a little wheelchair. So it was a little, like, wheelchair doggy excitement run, and it brought me a significant amount of joy. Oh, I love it. Oh, doggy keeps on keeping on. Yeah. Blithely. And the dogs can't get COVID, which is also good news. That's great news. And, like, shout out to all those dogs that have their people at home just for infinite pets and snugs. Yeah. It makes me wish I had a little animal here. I think that would be even cozier. You got some stuffed creatures. We do have some stuffed creatures. We can talk about at least one of them later in the show. Speaking of animal-related quarantine news, or quarantine-related animal news, I guess that's what we're, that's the order. Did you guys see the, it's from the Ship Aquarium, I think, or no, the Shed Aquarium in Chicago. I've been there when I was very little, because there's nobody going. They let the penguins, like, out and about to, like, roam around and, like, look at all the fish. Oh, that's adorable. (laughs) 
And they were so cute. Like, the rockhopper penguin, they're the ones that have, like, the funny hairdo. The feathers that just stick right yeah, out. They have little poofs on, on the Yeah, side. the yellow guys. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, super cute. One of those, them was just, like, walking around, like, looking up at all the fish. Like, you know, looking around all curious and stuff. Do you think it's so hungry looking through the window? Probably. It's like, like why can't I have them? Right. And then there was another um, penguin. I'm not sure of the uh, species of it, but it took a picture with a dolphin. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so cute. It's looking at the camera and the dolphin's behind it. Yeah. It's very sweet. That does uh, sound quite adorable. Yeah. Check out the Shed Aquarium website because there's probably a whole lot of like great, just feel good animal content on there. Zoos, I'm sure, are just a wealth of great, hilarious content at the moment. Yeah. And they're letting the animals roam more free right now. Yeah, shout out to all the zookeepers and animal caretakers that have to still be going into work because these animals still need to be taken care of. Thank you, zookeepers. It's another population that does not get to work from home. Yeah. Animals got to eat. It's true. Yeah. So regarding us all working at home, I would like to offer, uh, as a person who has experienced periods of unemployment or periods of underemployment, just a few recommendations for maintaining a high level of mental clarity and a high level of personal zest and fervor throughout yes. this isolation period. I love your personal zest. Thank you. I think that it's really important to get out of bed every day before 1 p.m. Yep. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put on at least one article of clothing that says, like, I'm an outside human person, like, whether that's a shirt or a pair of pants or, like, maybe even just a shoe, you know? <laughs> I think that it's important that you consume no more than one season of Murder, She Wrote every two days. <laughs> And no more Seriously. than five seasons every two weeks. Okay. So you can do up to two and a half seasons per week of Murder, She Wrote. How many seasons of Murder, She Wrote are there? Twelve seasons wow. of Murder, She Wrote. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. So Good feasibly, enough. how much quarantine could you safely consume all of that in? If we're going with an average of 2.5 seasons a week, that's maximum okay. consumption. That will last you five weeks. Okay. That could be a project yes. for you clubbies out there. Fire up that murder she wrote. <laughs> what streamer is it on? I, you're okay, you're you know I feel you're very hitting, put on the spot here the because I don't actually know the answer. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that when I experienced my first period of this underemployment unemployment situation where I had so much free time on my hand, I consumed uh -huh. three or more seasons of Murder She Wrote every week, and back then it was on Netflix. Okay. He's fair. just speaking from the heart. He's speaking yes. from the heart. That's fair. I'm sorry. I'm just asking You're questions you can't him. answer. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. You are I definitely <laughs> very much picking my nits right now. And I appreciate that we have this sort of symbiotic thing. But yeah, I do feel yeah. very attacked. However, I will definitely at some point wear only one shoe. And that's it. I think it's important to just like, you know, dress nice. Like if you have a fancy look, well, turn on a yeah. fancy look and have club night at home. But I mean, also, yes, I agree. But with the one shoe thing, you know, sometimes it's nice to be, I'm going to take everybody by surprise, even in the apartment. You usually don't wear only one shoe. That's yeah. true. But I do feel like every time I come over to the Dalmatian station that I am removing multiple articles of clothing. I usually wear no shoes at the Dalmatian station. Barefoot? Yeah, Mike's very good about taking off? his shoes off when he comes, oh, when he enters the door. I leave my socks But if you off. wore only a shoe, not even a sock, but a shoe is your only article of clothing, it would be weird. Like you take your shoes but off, that's then your socks. But that's refreshing, I think. And then you put a shoe back on? Yeah, you're only wearing a shoe. Like it's no like, pants, like, no shirt, one shoe? No pants, Naked no underwear, one shoe on. no nothing but a shoe. Are you wearing a sock? Nope. That's the thing. You're not even mm. wearing a sock. So if they wanted to pick your nits even more, you, they would look down and see you're just wearing like a jackboot with no socks. I think that's nice. It's refreshing. Well, it's just ah jackboot. It's not jackboots, right? Ah, yeah. Just ah jackboot. Hmm. Well, I mean, look, I'm encouraging everybody to explore the limits of exactly. their yeah. fashion options. And I'm totally behind it because anything to be a little different while you're sitting around at home. Yeah, I did put on mascara today. That's fun. Did you put a little more mascara on? Just a little bit. I mean, got sick of looking at my blonde eyelashes. And everything is sparkle dust. Razzmatazz. I forget what the lyrics. That? It's from Lacage. Oh. It's the I Want song. Put a little more mascara on. It's the name of the song. Yeah. That's what I sure did today. 
Yeah, I've never worn mascara in my life. I'm just You don't need it, Mike. That's true. Yeah, you're good to go. For those of you who don't know Mike by the face, only by his sweet voice over this podcast, he has enviable lashes. Yeah, they're articulate. And dark and long and noticeable. Yep. Yeah. You're like bordering on giraffe level lashes. Just saying. Well. The highest lash related compliment anyone could give. Beautiful eyes. Beautiful lashes. I've been going more for like a young Okapi sort of vibe. Oh, sure. You're pulling it off. You're pulling it off. So I'm just happy that you recognize the family. Yes. Giraffe a day. Giraffe a day. Well, I guess we should just kind of get into it. Yeah, let's do sure. it. Um, you ready to kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer? Oh, yeah. Ready? Ready. Okay. Okay. Taxona you. Taxona we. Taxona who? Taxona me. Kingdom and Amelia. They're the reason for the season. Phylum. Cordata. Spinal fluid is spine slime class. Mammalia. Memory glands look hot. Order. Pilosa. Energies of sauce in the Americas. Family. Myrmecophagidae. Our tongues also go long. Genus. Myrmecophagia. Elongated snouts and fuzzy tails. Species. Myrmecophagia. Tridactyla. Slurp, slurp, slurp. It's the giant anteater. All right. Well, you heard it right here, folks. It's the giant anteater. Ow! Oh, let me see. We love those. Let me see if I can say this. Myrmecophagia uh-huh. tridactyla. Myrmecophagia tridactyla. Yeah. Slurp, yeah, slurp, I wouldn't slurp. know how to say that. It's the giant anteater. <laughs> so we have the class mammalia, and then what's the order? So we go class mammalia, pilosa. So this is fun. Oh. We're entering into tax facts. I love tax facts. Uh, I live for facts. tax facts. Yeah, it's kind of my favorite way to get into these discussions, if you haven't noticed. Like, I generally, like, structure my presentations by digging in, digging in with my claws. Do you do a hook and pull? I do a hook and pull. Yeah, the hook and pull is the preferred method of the myrmacophagia triductula. (laughs) What's a hook and pull? Well, we'll probably... We'll we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to what the hook and pull is. Anthony knows anteater fact? I made him. I did a little research. Well, I guess we should say that the reason why we're doing the giant anteater for this episode is because we collectively, as a couple, love the giant anteater. Love them. And we'll get into why in an an upcoming segment. Oh. We'll just put that on pause for now because I don't want to ruin that magic. If we get into some tax facts, back to your question, Mike, about the order Pilosa... Uh-huh. So guess who else? It's another friend of the podcast, another species friend of the podcast. We have presented them on this podcast before. The pangolin. No. Though uh, I will talk about that. You're not like completely I, wrong. I did a Pelosa a minute ago, but I don't remember what animals I did. So think about where the Pelosa live. I'll tell you this. They live in the Americas, particularly South America. The armadillo? No. We've never done the armadillo. Maybe Tridactyla. They live, they're not, oh my God, Meredith, I can't remember. It's the sloth. The sloth. Oh yeah, they're related to the sloth. <laughs> they're in the sloth Christ. family. Yeah, Pelosas are anteaters and sloths. I totally remember now. Yeah, isn't that funny? Because I wouldn't normally, I would definitely, I was surprised to read that. I was like. Nancy Pelosa. <laughs> That's my favorite sloth. That's a speaker of the sloth house. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, it's it's weird. It doesn't really make complete sense, especially when you think of like the other things that are so similar to anteaters out there. So we've got Pelosa, but there there's also this um, super order called Xenartha, which means strange joints. That's the planet I'm from. Xenartha? Yeah. Strange joint planet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely strange Like joint. big blunts. <laughs> yeah. So there's extra um, formations between their vertebrae. But there also used to be this, um, it's a now like discredited, uh, I don't know if it was like a suborder or what, one of the taxonomic ranks called Edentata. So these like toothless creatures. So included in that would be pangolins and aardvarks, but they're actually not related to each other, like at molecular levels or skeletal levels. So initially they were all grouped together because obviously pangolins or like scaly anteaters, it would make total sense that they'd be related. Right. And the shapes of their bodies are so similar. It's really crazy. Yeah, I guess um I guess I've always thought of the anteater as having like a unique ambulatory situation. They with sure like do. Their arms are kind of funny looking. 
Oh yeah. yeah. In a way that I think a sloth's arms are funny looking, but I think of a totally. sloth as mostly sitting on its butt or like hanging from the tree. And yeah. I think of the anteater as walking on all fours. Oh yeah, they're totally terrestrial. They're walking around on all fours. And I like that they walk on their fists. Yeah, they're like gorillas. Yeah, they pound around. Oh. But only in their front legs. Yeah, only on the front. But that's where the claws huh. are, and the claws have to be bent back high enough. So they're just walking around on their fists. They're fisties. Yeah, fisty they're fisties. <laughs> they're fist and fisty guys. muffs. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, so they walk around like on their knuckles, pure gorilla style. Um, and like Anthony said, which is as a means to protect their clawliture. Clawliture? I made that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not an official vocab. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't put that in the um, summer, like animal fan club for kids summer school pack. Keep that out. Uh, what um, a pack. <laughs> what a pack that would be. Um, yeah, so they like per- they walk on their knuckles and they keep their little claws like tucked under so they don't um, fuck them up. Yeah. Because they need those claws for... For the hook and pull. The hook they and gotta pull. They got to do the hook and pull. Also, for fist bumping. Because they're prepared all the time. They just lift their paw up. They don't have to spread them out. Right. They don't do high fives. No. Right. And five is actually right. Tridactyla, totally wrong. They got five. They got five digits. But only four. Misnomer. Claws. Only four of claws. Okay. Yeah, there is a clawless digit. Yeah. But anyway, so they pound it out. Fist bump. Yeah. Little anteater bros. Anteater bros. Microphagia bros. <laughs> Myrmicophagia. Yeah, so they're super cute. Like walking, and, and when you watch them walk, you're kind of like, why do they look so strange? It's almost, there's like almost like a primate element yeah. to it. They Like you watch one walk across like a grassland, which is where they love to forage, by the way. You watch them walk across a, like lumber. Yeah. It's Lumbering's like, a great word. They lumber. Yeah. You watch them lumber ac- across the grassland, and it almost looks like it's a gorilla or even a human just kind of walking like yeah, an animal absolutely. because of that weird um, way they're walking on their knuckles. Okay. And they're big, too. They're like bigger than golden retrievers in some Well, cases. let me give you some statistics. I so, was going like to say, I want to know just how giant are we talking about. They're pretty well, giant. from top to tail, uh, I'd say anywhere to between 5.97 to 7.12 feet from top to tip. Pretty Seven, long. 7.12? 7. 7 point, yeah, one, two. 7.12 feet. That's pretty big. How do you have a... I was thinking like in inches, and I was like, wouldn't that be eight feet? Oh, I don't know how that goes to inches. 7.12 yeah, sure. feet. But 7.12 yeah, feet is the longest. 5.97 seems to be the lowest, so it rests somewhere in there. But that's pretty long. Yeah, yeah, that's a big... Cr- I mean, I'm six four and a half. Yeah, an anteater might surpass you yeah. from top to tip. But if that's it was crazy. standing on its tail. Yeah, if it was standing on its tail. Also... It's not that it would stand taller than me. It's that it would exist longer than me. Yeah, it would exist. If I were to lay down <laughs> next to it, it would need a, at least like a California king-size bed. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can get mm-hmm. by on like a queen-size... No, because I think the thing about the anteater is that it looks much bigger than it actually is. Like, if you were to shave all that ex- that layer off of its pelage. 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 Is it a rufous pelage? <laughs> they don't have a rufous pelage. Okay. Then I think it would be much tinier, it seems like. Yeah, a lot of this is hair. It's based on the hair. Yeah, which happens to be very flammable. But yeah. if we're talking about, like, markings, um, so they're generally kind of, like, grayish, brownish. Salt and They've pepper. They've got... Salt and pepper. With brown. And they've got kind of like black stripes on their backs. And there's some interesting talk about this being as kind of like a one of those aposmatic signals, Mike. Remember those? Yeah, the signals that say, don't eat me. Yeah, some, functioning as some sort of warning. Yeah. Right? Saying like, don't eat me because blank. Shall I ask my question? Yeah, ask your question. I have a question here. Maybe, Mike, you could elucidate this. I'm ready. But I was reading about that today. I was reading... That they have some, they have a warning coloration, and it seems to signal in quotes, "I'm not worth it." Right. But this is my question: If animals over the years have developed to be part of the food chain, so there are animals that just eat the anteater, then what's the difference? Like, who who is it fooling? Like, if word is out amongst the jaguars and pumas that would eat these guys yeah they're just delicious all the time well that's interesting maybe it's maybe the signal of i'm not worth it is the quantity of the meat or something they want to just they it's advantageous to evolve for them to not be worth the while of the predators because those are the ones that survive but i i don't know what the actual signal is and i don't know what the i haven't really read any jaguar message boards lately (laughs) 
4chan.com slash Jaguar. So I did a little bit more research on this. Oh, please. After we discussed this this morning. So when we talk about this idea of like, I'm not worth it, it means there's something in the exchange of like chomps down on the anteater or chomps down on the frog or chomps down on the skunk or lunges at the skunk or whatever. Yeah. So this unprofitability of preying upon can kind of follow under, you know, it would be unprofitable to eat me because I smell bad. It would be unprofitable to eat me because I'll taste really bad or I'll poison you or I might be very aggressive. Yeah. So this coloring, what I would assume based on what I now know more about giant anteater behavior is that they can be very aggressive. Right. And they're able to do some severe damage with their front claws. Right. Yeah. It might be. And also their size is not particularly diminutive. They're not that much smaller than a jaguar. They're sturdy. So the signaling might have over time come to mean like this particular coloration on a creature. These guys are aggressive. A jaguar approaches one. It might say, this looks like prey, but something's telling me to hold back. You know, maybe they're not completely aware of why they're being repelled from a particular animal. But they know, for instance, like, oh, these guys could fuck me up with their claws if I get too close. And I did actually watch a video. There was a giant anteater just helping itself to some delicious water at the stream. And you can watch this. A jaguar literally comes up and is directly like behind it in like pounce mode. And then it just kind of like watches as the anteater walks off. Like the anteater was completely vulnerable taking a drink and the jaguar was right behind it and could have pounced, but it didn't. It just sat and watched it. All right. There's the question then. A jaguar or jaguar will look at an anteater and say to himself or herself, that looks, that looks tasty. I'm interested in this. Right. Well, what I'm thinking is that it's probably there. They got like conflicting signals. So it's like, Ooh, I should be interested in this thing that's like slow moving, lumbering. You know, I should be able to overtake it with my strength, but there's something about it that I'm I'm getting some signal that it might not be worth it. That's like the Kavorka in Seinfeld, where Kramer's got this weird enigma that makes all women attracted to him. Maybe. <laughs> they got the Kavorka. I have a I have a response to this. There's something that I'm going to speak about in my animal presentation forthcoming. Yes about the optimal foraging theory. Ooh. And basically what it says is that organisms forage in such a way as to maximize their net energy intake per unit of time. Sure. And so I guess I would extend this beyond this foraging theory to like a predator moment where Mm -hmm. there's something about the signaling where I'm in agreement where the jaguar sees it and says, no way, it's not worth my time. The amount of Mm -hmm. energy intake I'm going to get and the quality of meat I'm going to get from this anteater is not worth the expenditure of hunting it. So I would say that's probably part of the aposmatic signaling is this sort of aggressive, I'm not worth the effort, I'm a big scary thing. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, yes, I'm sure all of this is correct. I just I do like to picture performative worthlessness among the anteaters. You know, you picture just them. among the anteaters. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just above it, because what I'm picturing is like a Woody Allen anteater. You know, like a worthless sure. creature who performs worthlessness. That was like his bread and butter. Right. And so I picture an anteater kind of taking that that and running with it and being the least worthwhile to eat. And there must be something to that performance of performing worthlessness. I'm doing this all in air quotes to kind of demonstrate to the jaguar that like you don't want, you don't want me. What no, do, what we're do you not. Need? Okay, I'm stopping yeah, this right this here. I just don't feel Aphrodite. like it's fair to even bring the mighty, amazing, noble, giant anteater into the same sentence as Woody Allen. They're not the same. <laughs> but they are acting is the point. No, they're, they're not. They're not the same. They're aggressive. Hmm. They are aggressive. Yeah. They've killed men. That's true. They've known to have they've been known to have killed humans. But then I, what I don't get though is why is it the performance why is like I'm not worth it the thing that I read, you know? Like, it should be I'm aggressive. Well, I, that's what it's well, saying. Well, but this is you're assigning the oh, value. I'm not, of, I see, of I see. Worth. I'm not I worth it, it because I got I'm aggressive. not worth it because it's yep. you're going to be in a world of hurt. I got you. I read it so differently. Yes, that all makes sense. You are assigning some sort of value judgment to the worth of this anteater. Well, I just like to I like the performance picture, the picture it. 
It seems kind of funny to me. It just seems kind of adorable. I get that. There might be I other animals. I mean, Woody animals. Allen's not adorable. He's a piece of shit. But that's not the point. Yeah. The point we is that kind of character. We can maybe bring in Woody Allen for another kind of animal, but not our best friend, the giant ant eater. Right. It was just his style of comedy I'm referencing. He's more of a small rodent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or a Ratso Rizzo. We could talk about Dustin Hoffman. That, that kind of oh, thing. Sure. But, Ra- but Dustin Hoffman well, was scrappy. Ratso Rizzo is like he was still scrappy, in there. Super like, scrappy. Getting, you yeah, know, getting shit thing. done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's just like uh, apologizing for your existence is the oh. acting I'm talking about. Right. No. These guys are loud and proud. And yeah, by loud and proud, them. I mean they're like sticking their tongues out at you. Great. <laughs> and um, they're so cute at the same time. They're extra long tongues. That they can flick 150 times a minute. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. They're fast flickers. Wow. They're mother flickers. And they can do it like three times a second. And it's two feet long. Wow. It's great. Yeah. So they use that hook and pull method. So they'll like find a termite or an ant mound. And they'll get like one of those claws in there, hook it, pull it open. And then they go like. But super fast. Like. (laughs) (laughs) They get that tongue in there and they have like super sticky tongues. Yeah. And they stick to it. Yeah, and then there's backwards pointing um, pupillae. Oh, yes, pupillae. Yeah, pupillae that like are backwards facing. So like essentially you can imagine if the pupillae are pointing back towards the anteater, you shove your tongue into a termite mound. It's just going to like scrape up all of that stuff and pull it back into the mouth. Sure. And once the bugs, they descend all down into the digestive tract of the anteater. What's interesting is the anteater has absolutely no acid naturally in its tummy. So it uses the bug juice to digest the bugs. Crazy. Yeah, isn't that wild? Is it like the pangolin with rocks in its stomach? Yes, exactly. Also, yes, the soil helps to digest it too because they're they're taking in a lot of excess, you know, shit from the mound. Yeah, so like sand or or tree bark. Yeah, so it does like their stomachs are gizzard-like, just like the pangolin, Mike. Great call. So I totally understand like why people would think pangolins and anteaters would be related. I really want to dig into more of this. Is this like a convergent evolution thing or is there just something? I don't know. I can't believe nobody else has like been more. I don't know. You got to hook and pull aggressive, your way through. Aggressive history. about the link between the pangolin and the anteater. Sure. It just seems so obvious. I feel like we could go on and on about yeah, I this. Yeah, I could easily. I'm, I'm a big um, fan. Yeah. These guys are soups. Cute. They swallow almost continuously also. That's exciting. Nonstop swallowing. I yeah. And they crush like the bugs that. against their palate. That's crazy. Yeah. They have no teeth. Not, not one. I have to get in here with this uh, description. Tubular snout takes up most of its head. I mean... Come on. You look at these guys and their snouts are just like all of their face. It's very cute. Yeah. It's just a snout. Is it like an extension? Like a sort of like pachyderm? Like a proboscis? It's just... Well, it's that's so good that you brought this up because actually like this, the technical word is the rostrum or uh-huh. the rostrum. Uh-huh. And that's like the word that could apply to, I guess not the pachyderm, but I'm thinking more of like the snout on like a porpoise or the beak of a bird. A rostrum or a rostrum is kind of a generic term to refer to like beaks and snouts. Fun. Beaks and snouts and beaks and snouts. They're Kenny Rogers rostrums. Is there a bone in the rostrum? No, it's like if you, there's a great gif of a giant anteater and it, you can kind of like see how wiggly yeah, the wiggly. rostrum is. Uh-huh. Wiggly thing. Um, and it's so cute because it's almost like a bird beak, how long it extends out away from the face, but it doesn't open the length of the beak. There's only a tiny, tiny little, little opening. Tiny little mouth at the end. <laughs> at the end. Tiny it's little so mouth. so cute. So they've got this long beak, but it like only has a tiny little, like imagine a yeah. beak like closed it's off. It's an opening for the tongue. The tongue can come out of the mouth and nothing else can come out or in. Bigger That's than that, adorable. so it can only eat bugs. And <laughs> it's so cute. I want to give you my last my my last factoid that I love so much is that when it goes to sleep, what it does is it digs a shallow little trench for itself and it covers itself with its big bushy tail. That's how it goes, like a gravity blanket. <laughs> or and like a Siberian husky, they do the same things. They like hollow out a spot for themselves in the snow and then wrap their big bushy tails around them. Oh, preserve so cute. Body heat. But you got to watch out; they're particularly susceptible to forest fires because they go up like a tinderbox. They are super flammable. Well. There you have it. That was like an assault <laughs> of Anthony and my... Yeah. Anthony's and my love of the giant anteater. We do love them, yeah. Also, they go har, H-A-R-R-R-R, when they're fighting. Har. Yeah. Har. But that scares the jaguars. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Wow. All right, well, I love it. Um, I think that it's kind of time for a break, I guess. Definitely. All right, let's take a break. Great. <laughs> okay. 
It's a quiet evening near the mouth of the cave system, but two squirrel thieves are on the prowl. <laughs> Check out that cave, Persephone. I bet they have lots of stuff we can steal. How wonderful, Hades. <laughs> we'll be rich off of our stolen goods. Protect your cave home from thieving squirrels with Brand Clubby Home Security. It uses infrared technology to detect intruders, even sneaky squirrels. Oh no, Persephone, not infrared technology. They'll see us immediately. Brand Clubby has teamed with Waifu Technology, a leader in wireless fungus communications for the fastest dispatch system on the planet. Oh no, Hades. Even we can't scurry faster than the Waifu signal. Class Aves technology interfaces with the Waifu system, dispatching an elite squad of Raptor enforcers to protect your personal property. Watch out for that owl, Persephone. We better get out of here. <laughs> Brand Clubby Cave Security comes with a sign for the mouth of your cave, so potential intruders know to stay away. Persephone! Let us never get near another brand cubby cave security system ever again! Yes, Hades, we must be more vigilant in checking the mouth of the cave for a brand cubby security sign. Use code CAVESAFE for 10% off at checkout. Stuffed animal memories are the best kind of memories, teddy bears. Cows and pow puppies, would you tell us, please? Well, it's time for another edition of Stuffed Animal Memories. Very special moment today. Yeah, we're back. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited for your contribution. Yeah, so do you want to kick us off, Anthony, as the guest? Sure. Tell us about your favorite stuffed animal memory or one that sticks out to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I was a young man in high school, I had a stuffed animal, and his name was Richard, and he was a stuffed catfish, and he was as tall as me, so about five foot six, exactly, and I used to bring him to school, <laughs> and what I would do is I used to have a velvet shirt that said Diva in sequins on it, and I used to wear it to school, and I would bring Richard the catfish and i would make sure that the, the desk next to me had to be empty so i would be like would you mind not sitting there because richard the catfish would sit and occupy a desk and i also wore it with another guy named anthony we went we both had shirts that said diva and that were velvet mm -hmm. and we were called together the total package was, gotcha. the, was the name of our little group and he would carry me around from class to class and he would put me at the desk he would place me in my desk and i would put richard in the desk next to me sounds about right and so i i did this Day in and day out for, I mean, it got old after about two weeks. But two weeks is wow, a long that time. seems long. And during yeah, that time, I will say, which is so unbelievably inappropriate now, but my science teacher, during chemistry class, she stops class and she opens up one of the cabinets and she goes, Anthony, get back in the closet. Can you imagine? Wow. That's How aggressive. fucked is that? That's pretty fucked. Well, I mean, you were also disrupting her class continually Absolutely. with but a sick five foot six but to catfish. fire back in wait a minute way. wait a minute stop everything stop everything <laughs> anthony d'angelis being disruptive in a group setting <laughs> i can't imagine such a set of affairs never how do you invite me to be a guest and then call me out pulling focus <laughs> anthony d'angelis never <laughs> anyways that's my stuffed animal store but i loved richard brought a lot of laughs to a lot what of people what color was he like brown, like disgusting, <laughs> where with, did, with like black spots. Where did he end up? <laughs> Probably a garbage can, in all honesty. I don't know. Aww. I don't know what happened to Richard the Catfish. Know what because I used up. the shit out of him. So he probably got a little, not uh, all the stuff and was in at the end. What was the name of the, oh gosh, I can't remember, my, like the fleshy receptors that like the Mata Mata has or like. I know catfish have them too. It's like oh, the barbels. Barbels. Yeah, oh, I was I like thinking about word. those earlier with our papillier moment. Yeah. So Richard had barbels, the little the little whiskers. By the end, he was losing his barbels. He had full on lost his barbels by that point. <laughs> Very fun, Mike. Do you want to go? I would like to take this opportunity to tell a story that we've briefly touched on, but I would like to tell it in maybe perhaps slightly more detail. Okay. 
And when I was younger, I was in fifth grade, my appendix ruptured and I had to have all this medical circumstance. I had to like go to the hospital and everything. And then once I was better, they had to remove the appendix from me. But they sent me home at a certain point because they thought that the treatment that I was receiving, which was relatively new at the time, they were kind of like, we should be able to do this at home. So I was staying at my parents' place and it was very hard for me to move and very painful because I had all this abdomen circumstance going on. And I was walking around the house one night with the help of my mom and my sister because, you know, it was so hard to move. And my brother was just trying to crack jokes the whole time. And he took a stuffed banana that I had won from a claw machine at some truck stop on the Ohio Turnpike. And he threw it in front of me and said, don't slip on the banana. And it was so funny that I had to sit down because I was shaking from trying to control my laughter. You know, full church oh, laugh. I love the church giggle. And mm-hmm. it hurt so much, but we couldn't be mad at him because it was so damn funny. And yeah. even my mom was trying to be like, you know, Daniel, like be more respectful of your brother. But the joke was so good and landed <laughs> so fiercely that we just kind of went with it. <laughs> I have a different stuffed banana now in my life. I don't know what happened to that original stuffed banana. Maybe it's an an addict somewhere. But uh, I just think it's noteworthy that of all fruits and vegetables, I think I've only ever owned stuffed bananas. And I guess I've had two. (laughs) So it's not really an animal. It's a stuffed plant. But still. Yeah, I don't know that I own any like stuffed non-animals. Yeah, I've never had any stuffed flora. Yeah. Yeah. I've only had stuffed fauna. Definitely have stuffed flora and stuffed fauna yeah that's interesting i've never i've never i've never done it that sounds nice that's fun it is nice meredith you got one i i sure do yes and um he's right behind me (gasps) let me grab him oh all the other ones are gonna be so jealous i know but we'll do this carefully so actually our inspiration and our love of the giant anteater was kind of brought on by fate. So Anthony was cleaning out his parents' attic with the help of his brother and his dad. It was my brother's attic. Oh, your brother's attic. Hardly the point. That's right. But anyway, so out of this attic comes like with all the books and CDs and random notebooks and things comes this just pristine giant anteater stuffed animal. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. See we should say that all the things we were cleaning out of my brother's attic is because he was he was nice enough to give me a portion of his attic to keep all of my stuff. So it's all my stuff. That's good. Yeah. And so initially, we're kind of like just doing triage with all this stuff. And we're like, what the heck is this anteater stuffed animal? And Anthony doesn't know where it came from, who gave it to him. But it's like actually a very high quality one. It's very well put together. And like, you know, this thing probably is like a $25, $30 stuffed animal. Yeah, very nice stuffed animal. In judging, it's not like the kind you'd get at like the fair or whatever. Right. It's like the kind you'd get at the zoo in the... In the, in the zoo gift shop. Yep. Exactly. Does its tongue go long? No, no its tongue, tongue doesn't go long. No tongue. Unfortunately. Sadly. This stuffed animal... We've named it Flossie, but it Flossie ended up in a garbage bag and I just like couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. It was like really distressing for me. So I was like, I think we should really keep this. You were totally right. My ethos and all that stuff is throw everything out, but this was, it was so nice. It's a pristine yeah. stuffed animal. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful. And it's Flossie is his name. We took him home proudly on the bus with us and is like, he's been a part of our lives ever since. Yeah. And we love giant anteaters because of it. We do. He's got a big bushy tail. He's got a big bushy tail. That's lovely. It's yeah. a beautiful stuffed animal. It's really something to behold. Yeah, so we're very happy that we rescued Flossie from the trash bag. Yeah, we love I you, bet. Flossie. Uh, I guess it's break time. It's break time. All right. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Animals, 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 animals. Phylum. Cordata. Spine privilege is showing. Class. Mammalia. Fuzzy, furry, friendly, fierce, order, Eulopatyphla, truly fat and blind, family, Talpidae, the mole zone, genus, Condylura, only one extant species, species, Cristata, the star-nosed mole, it's got a super funny nose that's got some tendrils on it. <laughs> oh, it's a nosy episode. Yes. It is a nose-centered episode, and 
I am just very excited to share that with you. I have to tell you, do you know about this creature, the star-nosed mole? It looks like a normal mole, but its nose has like a sea anemone on the front of it almost. So crazy. Weird. Anthony just looked it up. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, it looks like the Stranger Things thing. Yeah, I was looking at the picture of that the entire time that we've been doing this episode. So funny. Whoa. Yeah, and like even those little claws, because I've looked up moles just to see their funny claws, and it's like this, but it's like you put a sea creature over their face. Oh, and their bodies are so big behind it. Yeah, it's a kind of a little crazy creature. So let's. <laughs> it is. I love this. So we're going to do a quick little taxonomy journey together. Okay. I love those. So Animalia, obviously we know. We know about Cordata Privilege, the spines, those vertebrates, yes. and then the class mammals, Mammalia. We know about mammals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am really great at pronouncing this word. Eulopatyphla. 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 It's an order of mammals. It includes hedgehogs. Jamures, moon rats, shrews, desmonds, and moles. They sound like best friends of witches. Yes, they do sound very friendly to witches. Moon rats. Familiars. Now we enter, after the order, there's the family, which is Talpidae. Okay. That's when we enter the mole zone, okay? Once we get to Talipidae, then we are dealing with moles and mole-like creatures we have moles yes moles shrew moles desmonds other intermediate forms of small (laughs) insectivorous mammals of our order desmonds it's like cole porter characters (laughs) yeah where are the daryls and the darnells (laughs) the uleopatyphla is the truly fat and blind that's the order but then (laughs) the talpidae that's the mole zone, I'm calling it. and The mole zone, I like that. Amongst the family Talipidae all have small eyes and bad vision, but few are truly blind. So the truly fat and blind designation of the <laughs> order isn't even true at the level of family. So it's all very, you know, just get into it. Okay. Yeah, I'm along for this you. ride. Yeah, the Uleopatyphla is a great wikipedia article by the way the order it's it's an order of mammals suggested by molecular methods of phylogenetic reconstruction and includes a losertherian member of the now invalid polyphilic order lipotypha but not <laughs> the afrotherian members which is the name uh, of my new Afrofuturist group, Afrotheria. Love it. I love Afrofuturism. <laughs> so then we get down to the family where we have three subfamilies. The star-nosed mole that we're talking about is in the subfamily Scalopinae, which are the New World moles. Okay. So this okay. is the only Talpidae subfamily to consist entirely of undisputed moles and contains <sighs> no mole-like close relatives like the aforementioned shrew moles or desmonds. <laughs> The Desmonds. That's a great band name, the Desmonds. Yeah, totally. (laughs) What kind of music would they play? Like a 50s band? Yeah. Now, within this Scalapinae, Scalapinae family. (laughs) Make me whip. (laughs) Make me Scalapinae. We have two tribes. We have the Scalapus, which includes our common eastern moles, three species of western moles, the hairy-tailed mole, and the Gansu mole. So that's not what we're talking about. We're instead talking about the star-nosed mole, which is the only extant species in the other tribe, Condylarini. The star-nosed mole is functionally blind, so it's actually their snout that's used to detect activity. Ooh. So the eyes are totally useless. Totally useless, yeah. It's pretty small, four and a half inches long, weighs just 1.7 ounces. It's found along the eastern seaboard from Georgia up into Canada to Newfoundland and Labrador along the Appalachian Mountains. It extends up into the Great Lakes region and past into Canada. Okay, so we could like... Well, you can can bump into those, yeah. Yeah, totally. We definitely could here and where we're all from as well. They love a wet lowland area. They eat small invertebrates. We're talking aquatic insects. Insects, worms, mollusks, maybe a small amphibian or a small fish sometimes. Okay. Look out, minnows. (laughs) So now we have to talk about Elmer's organ. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Tell me that. Uh, I mean. Is that the star face? Well, it is. The namesake of the mole is their Elmer's organs. 
<laughs> Elmer's. It looks like a star nose, okay? So yes. generally, when we're talking Elmer's organs, we're talking sensory organs in which the epidermis is modified to form bulbous papillae. Oh my oh. gosh. Papillae, you're back. Papillae is back. It's a nipple-like <laughs> anatomical structure. <gasps> They're formed by a stack of epidermal cells, which is innervated by nerve processes from myelinated fibers in the dermis, which form terminal swellings just below the outer keratinized layer of epidermis. We're going to break down this sentence. I was going to, you don't need to. I followed all of that. So they're formed (laughs) by a stack of epidermal cells. So your epidermis is your outermost layer of skin. So it's formed by skin cells. Got that. And they stack on top of each other. And then a nerve, it's innervated. So there's a nerve. And that is from a myelinated fiber, which is a type of nerve fiber that has a fatty insulation around the side of it, which speeds up the rate of transmission, which we're going to come back to later. So remember that. Okay. And so essentially that myelinated fiber in the dermis extends to the epidermis, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. meets up with these stacks of epidermal cells. Yeah. And they form a terminal swelling, meaning Mm -hmm. the end of the nerve, Mm -hmm. just below the outer keratinized layer of the epidermis. So we're again talking about keratin. Right. So the nerves are just beneath there. Just beneath the surface. Yes. Yep. The star nose surrounds the nostrils or the nares, and yeah. <laughs> it has 22 fleshy finger-like appendages, aka tendrils. We're going to call them tendrils from now on. I'm into that. Very 90s. The tendrils are constantly in motion as the mole explores its Ooh. environment. It's not a sense organ. It's a touch organ. So it will just kind of push it against the floor and feel around with it. Yeah. It's about a centimeter across. Oh, so tiny. Very tiny, but it's considerably larger than the noses of other mole species. So it covers about 0.92 square centimeters versus 0.11 square centimeters of a typical mole. So the surface area is literally nine times as much, nearly 10 times as much surface area. Wow. Wow. There's no muscles or bones in the star. It's controlled by tendons, and it's like a complex series of muscles that attach to the skull. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And it it has a specialized epidermis. It's covered entirely by 25,000 small raised domes, or papillae. (gasps) that are only about 30 to 50 micrometers in diameter. And it's these domes that are the Elmer's organs. The nose contains 25,000 smaller Elmer's organs. Whoa. Whoa. On the star thing. It looks like a face doing jazz hands. (laughs) It does. Wow. These things are made for musical theater. Yeah, they definitely are. Uh, This is a pretty extreme creature. Uh, I'd say. Obviously. It's kind of seen as maybe an extreme in mammalian evolution with what's most likely the most sensitive mechanico-sensory system in a mammal in terms of the most complex sensor in touch, right? Yeah, sure. There's all these applications in engineering And so they're trying to figure out, well, what from this highly specialized system can we learn? So there's certainly attempts made with this nose of this creature to kind of imitate it in a synthetic form as a sensor. Oh, yeah. I can can see that for like prosthetics. Sure. And also just as like a detector. It's like it's very, very good at being a touch sensor. So if you model other touch sensors like that, then you can maybe use the power of evolution to your advantage. Yeah, capture the power of the Elmer's organ. Definitely. <laughs> Organs. Elmer. It reminds me a bit of whiskers on cats. Yeah. Whiskers are used, I guess, primarily as a means of like spatial uh, situating. Like proprioception. Yeah. It, it is like an extension of proprioception, I think, as far as like they're able to kind of tell a cat like what kind right. of space they're in. Yeah. And- yeah, I mean, but that's but just I don't a know tiny if that's a little... touch, or I guess that's a touch organ, but not as refined. Do you as think this, they have the I most mean. delicate sure. touch? Um, I don't know. They seem kind of heavy pod, honestly. They're diggers. <laughs> but even the the face, like on the star, on the Elmer's organs, I think it's a gentle touch. 
Yeah, I bet it's a gen- yeah. It seems like it'd be. I a, think it's a gen- you know if they're going face first like that. I'm sure that they don't really think about it. No, they're definitely not thinking about it. But I mean, I, th- look at those big old claws. Like the cl- I'm looking at a picture that's dead on, and I'm seeing the jazz hand face and just giant claws to the left and right. It looks like yeah. a bad guy on like a Super Nintendo Contra game. It's wild. Like it, like something that busts through the wall with giant claws that are very sturdy and angry looking, and a face that seems very like that's the area you shoot on the bad guy. It's a very delicate area. Yeah. That's a weird interpretation. I think that's kind of what it's going for. Yeah. So according to a report in the journal Nature, our Mm -hmm. fun nose-starred mole friend is the fastest eating mammal with an average time of 220 milliseconds to identify (gasps) and consume individual food items. The world record is 120 milliseconds, which is... What's that animal? For this star-nosed mole. Oh, I see, I see. But it's an average of 227 milliseconds. And its brain decides in approximately eight milliseconds if the prey is edible or not, which is at the limit of the speed of neurons. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, whoa. That's, that's due to its fun face. That's right. amazing. Because it's so powerful sensory that and by touch immediately knows by touching something whether or not it can eat it. And also smelling, you know. And then right. they can smell underwater. And what they do is they exhale a bubble of air and they kind of use their tendrils to kind of trap the air Whoa. a little bit. And then they breathe it back in <gasps> so they can use that to pick up information about if there's any prey nearby. That's insane. Take that, Mel Torme, with your circular breathing. Yeah, oh. fuck you, Mel Torme. I never <laughs> want to fart in a bathtub with a mole down there. No, definitely Just not. Just out of courtesy. Yeah, it would be so, it would vomit. It's kind of a completely crazy system. I really enjoyed this optimal foraging theory, the... Oh, yeah. Which we discussed earlier, where the creature, well, where the organism forages in a way to maximize the intake per unit time. So Mm -hmm. these things are just completely optimized, their specialized hunting system in order to efficiently find prey and eat the shit out of it as fast as possible yeah it's a major major advantage to that drove the evolution of that star you know just being that fast it also has tweezer like front teeth what (laughs) that it uses to handle the small prey it's insane it's pretty incredible i'd be curious to see how it would match up with say like a frog's speed at seeing a fly and doing the catching the actual that seems so fast to me you know right but this seems as probably like instantaneous like we would never yeah because the thing is that the proximity has to be already touching their face to know if they're going to eat it exactly exactly that's that's the other side of it is that it's literally up in their grill because they're using their nose to figure out whether or not it's edible by touch so it's right in front of their face so it's like you gotta know if something's dangerous or not if that shit's going to touch you i mean but if that stuff is right up on your face yeah that's pretty close to be putting it next to something dangerous you gotta know so fast that's i mean that makes sense yeah. I'm going to ask a little, just a little question thinking about this stuff. But if you had to go blind, but you could choose to increase to the max another sense, what would you choose? Would you choose touch? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Probably not. I think that would be yeah, overwhelming. Not. There are times where I feel completely overwhelmed by touch. Me too. I have weird tactile things. Yeah. There's some fabrics that if I touch, I literally, I'm, oh, just thinking about it, I feel it in my mouth, like a kind of weird synesthesia with touch. It's very weird. Maybe you're part mole. Yeah. I've, I relate to <gasps> the mole. This explains I definitely so much. relate to the mole. No doubt. I also wouldn't increase my touch though either because I think as humans, we don't have to worry about being all up on our food like that. Sure. I would probably increase my hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely hearing. Would you want a star nose? Yeah, I would just take one for the road. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm good without that. Okay. I don't need a star nose. I mean, you would be definitely a social pariah in the human world. It would be difficult. But you know what? We have to adapt. But in these trying times, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who does? We're able to go outdoors again. We're all going to have star noses. Star noses are like a new thing we can just try out as the slate is wiped clean. Corvid. Jazz hand face. I just want to say one more thing about the anteater because you're talking about increases of touch and smell. The anteater, another interesting fact, it's 40 times better than human sense of smell the giant anteater has. So can you imagine they know what ants smell like from far away? Yeah. That sounds like a curse. Can you imagine how ants smell? I know. What is what yeah, ants like, smell we're, like? Yeah, we're never going to know what an ant smells like. You could probably put your, your grill all up on an ant, and you wouldn't know what Scentless. it smells like. But our friend, our friend, the star-nosed mole and the anteater would be like, oh, that's ant. Yeah, or that's, that's like so this thing I eat. Like, what do they, 
smell like? Like, are the senses that are incoming to them, are they even the same as what a human could smell? Or is it so different that it's not even comparable? You know what I mean? Right. Who knows? I read somewhere that dogs smell in layers, which is why they're particularly effective in terms of sniffing Ah. out drugs and weapons and explosives and whatever they're trained to sniff out. Bodies, exactly. Because they smell in layers, which is not something that I fully understand. You know what I mean? Like even like a sommelier. I, I, like they find notes and then other notes. Sure. Maybe that's the closest we can get as humans. Or a chef. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Whatever. I'll go with it. I will say, Meredith, because I know you're interested in the romantic life of these moles, <laughs> they're mostly solitary, <laughs> which is why I was inspired to do them. Because I was like, well, what's a good reclusive creature for Oh yeah. our isolation moment? right now they are solitary in late winter or early spring they mate a female typically has a litter of normally four to five young in the late spring early summer <gasps> whoa I so bet they're many. so tiny when they're born they are very tiny they're just about two inches long Oof. which i mean adults are like five inches long four and a half five inches but you know still they have closed eyes ears and star at birth it's all sealed oh. <laughs> And it all opens up after about 14 days, and they're independent after about 30 days, and fully mature after about 10 months. Their predators include hawks, owls, foxes, weasels, minks, skunks, big fish, and domestic cats. Wow, skunks? Skunks? Skunks, get in there, man. Yeah, don't fuck with a skunk. Mephistopha. What? May I say one more word about the anteaters mating? Please. Yes. I'm so sorry, but I didn't mention it before, but I thought it was so adorable. They're also, at this present time, as we're all facing, pretty lonesome creatures. They don't spend time with the with, with their significant others. Oh. When they mate, they mate over the course of three days, and in that time, they tend to share termite nests. Oh. So that's their date. They're like, would you like to go out to eat? And then like after they're done, they're like, would you like to go out to eat? And it all happens in one day, because they can eat as much as 30,000 ants in a day, and they can visit up to 100 nests but i like that they call it a visit it just seems like the wrong term well the point of that is that they don't take a lot from they don't decimate a nest they take just enough and they leave the nest intact even with the hook and pull i think especially with the hook and pull they're taking the roof off right but they're not completely like they're not just like indiscriminate hooking (laughs) it's like a hook and pull you pull the top off you stick your tongue in you get your slurp, and then you move on. Aww. So that way you're not decimating the entire colony. I just pictured a, a mama anteater saying that to her child. It's how you do it, son or daughter. It's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I thought that was really cute that that's how they spend time together for three days. Yeah, I think that's lovely. I guess on that note, now that we've been talking about romance of anteaters and moles, maybe it's time for a break. Yeah. Sure. Great. Break it. Oh, my. What's wrong, Verla Vulture? Oh gosh, your talon is bleeding. Shark farts. I pricked myself with my sewing needle again, Oriana Osprey. Seems that the older I get, the less razor sharp my hawk eyes become. It's just so hard to see my needle sometimes as I sew together this carrion comforter. Oh my, Verla. Have you ever heard of Tawny's Talon Tips, the first and only thimbles for raptor crafters? Although us birds of prey might be known for our stellar hearing, as a matter of fact, no, I haven't heard of Tawny's talent tips, Oriana. Now, now, ladies, let's not get in a bird brawl over this great news. With Tawny's talent tips, raptor crafters just like the two of you never have to worry about tearing up your precious, delicate talent skin ever again. Simply slide Tawny's patented thimble over your desired talent tip and observe the power with which you can thrust the needle in and out of your favorite pelt projects. I'm sorry I squawked at you, Oriana Osprey. When I order my own set of Tawny's Talon Tips, symbols for Raptor Crafters, I'll be sure to order you a set as well. What's that smell? I think it might be oats, Meredith. Oh, yep. I had a feeling we'd be back in this feed bag. <laughs> We've returned. Oats. I like the word oats. Um, oats. So, Alex from New York would like to know, if kangaroos wore shoes, would they wear three shoes? And I think the implication here is that, you know how kangaroos often use their tails as like a third leg for like a tripod situation? Oh. oh yeah. 
So they can like, essentially they can kickbox. Like you can see videos of kangaroos like kickboxing. What they do is they kind of rear back and they use their legs as like kind of like a tripod thing. It's not a tripod, but it's like an extra foot. They yeah. like balance back on it. Oh yeah. And kick their feet up. I think it wouldn't be a shoe. I feel like it would be two shoes and some kind of a sleeve. Yeah, like a sort of tail sheath almost. Yes, yep. a tail sheath. Exactly. Like a tail cover. Yeah, a cozy. Tail cozy. Kangaroo tail cozies. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a shoe. I think that people can wear shoes on unusual parts of their bodies, I guess. Or, you know, <laughs> no creatures doubt can about it. wear shoes wherever they want. But I think that in terms of the product line that Brand Clubby would would offer, which normally anticipates the needs of the diverse flora and fauna of the world, that surely there is a brand clubby tail sheath. Yes, to protect your tender tails or to give your tender tail more traction. Yeah, no doubt. It has to exist. Yeah, I could see it having little grippies, like a grippy bottom to yeah, it. Like cleats or something. Yeah, or like those socks that you wear, like in the hospital, they give you socks that have yeah. traction on the bottom so you don't slip. Grippies? Uh, totally. So, yeah, kangaroos can wear shoes. But not on their tail. It would but be. But not on their tails. It would be like if you go to the store and you're buying kangaroo shoes, you buy two kangaroo shoes and then you have to go over to the tail goods department yep. tail notion to buy the tail notion or maybe there are some sort of you know high performance athletic devices that would be sold in like a three set but sure. i just don't think that the tail piece is called the shoe i think that the shoes go on your feet yeah and that tail koozies go on your tail yeah <laughs> i agree i think they are sold separately i agree well that's the fish position Kevin from Nebraska asks, Why does my dog look at me like that? Is he trying to tell me something with his eyes? Why doesn't he use words? Oh. Are they sinning? That First of all, that was three questions. That wasn't just one question. That's the first thing that I have to say to that. I feel like Kevin's sinning. He's sinning? Yeah. Why? I always thought when I was young, and I still kind of like to think this, that dogs and like house pets are angels, and so they know the real you. Oh. And so I feel like why are they looking at you like that could say a lot about who you are. Oh, wow. Oh. Well, I don't know. Sometimes dogs are just dumb, you know? <laughs> and they totally just another option. Look Mine was very romantic. like, know what's going on. They're like, what yeah. are you doing? What that is probably doing? the actual I'm a dog. Case. I don't know what's going on today. Dog, 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 yeah. dog, dog. I think I really put put them on a pedestal. You sure did. But I put the pet in pedestal, even though it's not there to begin with. Yeah, yeah but you put it in there. I put a T in. I gotcha. Yeah, what do they mean? I, I think th- it's just the dumb look of love. It's the look of love. It's in their eyes. And if there are angels, too, to get to your point, Anthony, maybe they are looking at you with love, though it's love with a tinge of judgment. Yeah, it could be like... They're looking upon you as like, oh, lowly sinner, you do not know what you do. Exactly. Like, you're going to burn in hell for this. Maybe. Or be forgiven. Maybe. Yeah. But they know, I think. I think so, too. A fish position? I think ding, 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 ding. Ding-a-ringy-doo. And so we also have, to round this out, a mate pair feed upon from Justin in New York. Oh, hi, Justin. Yeah. So we've got the mate pair feed upon carnivora edition. So we've got a cow, a chicken, and a salmon. Oh. Who do you mate with? Who do you pair with? Who do you eat? Okay. I would probably mate with the chicken. Why? Just because I feel like what I got going on, as far as the mating goes, okay, would fit the best into a chicken. Like you're the most comfortable working with a cloaca? Yeah, I think so. I just think the cloaca size would be a good match for what I have going on. Whereas okay. a cow would never even know I was there. I would pair with the cow because I think the demeanor of the cow, but I always called cows the philosophers of the animals because they always, they leave it kind of like pensive. I literally had just gotten done explaining to somebody my theory on this and then we saw a cow and it was just snot running down its face looking at us so stupidly. <laughs> so perhaps I'm wrong, but I like their demeanor. I've always loved cows. My mom and I love cows. So, you know, I, I could get along with a cow. We're also both mammals. I feel like we relate on some levels. Okay. And I would eat the salmon, which I, you know, I like salmon. I just feel like the personality-wise, there's not tons to work with with the salmon, and I'm not going to f*** it. Okay. Mike, what do you think? I feel like I would probably do the same thing, honestly. I've really been enjoying salmon lately, so I think I would like to continue eating salmon. Mm -hmm. 
I think that pairing with the cow would be the best bet because you'd get to spend some time just kind of hanging out in a pasture together. It'd be like a pretty chill existence. There's yeah. like not a lot going on. It's like chickens are annoying. You know, well, but I could definitely do like a hit it and quit it situation with the chicken, I guess. Yeah. And then just kind of move on from there. So I'm in agreement, but for different reasons. I think my only problem is I just really do not like salmon like at all. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't even want to feed yeah, it. I like wouldn't want to eat it because I think it's gross. Sure. Um, definitely relating on pairing with the cow. I mean, there's really no question. They're so charming. They're so They're sweet. great. Yeah. Especially when they jump. You ever oh, see those pictures of cows so like happy? jumping? Yes, <laughs> I, mean, I have. Come on. And, you know, I think I could, you know, use the justification that we sometimes use here is that, like, I would meet with the salmon just to see how it works. Sure. Because I don't really know. I mean, I could look it up. And then feed upon the chicken, which seems so obvious, but, like, it's only in an effort to not have to eat the salmon because I don't want to eat yeah. that salmon. Okay. Right. Yeah. Just better two evils. So we're kind of like a split dingsies here. Yeah, like a ding 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 dong. Ding. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Thank you to our special guest, Anthony DeAngelis. How do people find you on the internet, Anthony? Thank you, everybody. It's been a real pleasure. Well, uh, you can you can check out Lamayak Pod. Let me ask you a question. Is my very own podcast. And so you can find that on Stitcher. You can find it on iTunes. It's called Let Me Ask You a Question with host Anthony. That's me. And we've done it every week. I think we're on our 172nd episode. You can find us at Lamayak Pod on Insta and Twitter. And you can hit us up at moot.tv where we host a couple other shows, White Wasabi and Kyle Mocha Won't Shut Up. So get us at us there. And if you want to find me personally, you can find me at Anthony Doing Stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Anthony's podcast is great. You should definitely check it out. He goes down these rabbit holes of questions and swamp rabbit holes. Swamp rabbit nests of (laughs) theories and conjectures and tries to get people to answer very specific questions. We just stank one out. Considers (laughs) ethics and morality and Yeah, we do like that kind of stuff. That's true. Well, great. Thanks again. Thank you. This is a pleasure. Happy quarantine, everybody. Yeah, everybody stay positive. Keep laughing. Yeah, have fun. Smile. (laughs) Well, as best you can. As best you can. As best you can. And don't put other people at risk. Yeah, definitely not. Stay home and listen to this kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Learn more about animals. Perfect for that. Read about animals on Wikipedia. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Bye. I'll catch you next time. Smell you later. Bye. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.